Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And our sermon text is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. Listen then, church, to the word of the Lord. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we do thank you. We come with thanksgiving in our hearts and giving thanks to you for all that you are and all that you have done for us. We thank you principally, Lord, for Jesus Christ, that he came and he lived the life that we failed to live. He lived in perfect obedience to his heavenly Father. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the grave for our justification. God, we thank you and we praise you because without him we'd be lost. We would be headed for a Christless eternity. We'd be headed for hell. But you in your righteousness, in your goodness, in your grace, in your mercy, have sent a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. So we gather this morning in faith that he is our mediator. He is our Savior. And with gratefulness and thankfulness in our hearts, for all that you have done and all that you've given to us in and through him. Lord, along with the wonderful gift of salvation, God, we thank you for the many other gifts that you've given to us. Lord, we think of the gifts of children that you've given to so many of our families. We think of the gift of this building, Lord. We think of the gift of employment. We think of the gift of having houses and roofs over our heads and beds to sleep in and stay warm on cold winter nights. God, we give you all the praise for all of this. And we ask now that as we turn to your word, that you would work by your spirit in our hearts to cause us to grow in gratefulness, gratitude, and thanksgiving to you for all that you've done and all that you are. In the name of Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, if you haven't noticed already, we are not in John. Um, Seeing as how this was... Thanksgiving weekend. I thought it'd be good and profitable to preach this morning on the topic of Thanksgiving. And it isn't our normal practice to do so, but I'm glad for the opportunity because giving thanks isn't something we talk a whole lot about, or maybe even uh, for many of us think a lot about. And I would venture a guess that for many of us, when we think about the notion, uh, the biblical notion of thankfulness, it's still a little ambiguous to us. And maybe the reason for that is that we've categorized, many of us have categorized thankfulness as being in the realm of feelings and emotions. So we put thankfulness and thanksgiving in the realm of feelings and emotions, and we've been catechized, maybe you didn't know this, but you have been catechized by our culture to think of your feelings and your emotions as being sort of detached from your volition. In other words, Our our culture has taught us that our feelings and our emotions are what they are, and there's little that we can do to control them. So you see then, thankfulness becomes something I have and can only have when I feel thankful. And in the interest of authenticity, because we're all about authenticity, giving thanks is something that we think we ought to do only when we feel thankful. But when we look at scripture, what we find is that Christians are actually commanded, we're commanded to both thankfulness as an attitude and a disposition of our heart and thanksgiving 
as an action of the mind and the mouth. So I'm going to repeat that a couple times during my sermon because I want, it, I want that to get ingrained in your head. Scripture commands us to both thankfulness as an attitude and disposition of our heart and thanksgiving as an action of the mind and the mouth. So what I'd like to do this morning is to look at some of the passages in Scripture that shape our view and understanding of thanksgiving and thankfulness and put it in its proper place. And as we do so, I hope to, to, to take both of those things, both thanksgiving and thankfulness, out of the realm of the abstract for you, out of the realm of involuntary emotions, and into the realm of active obedience. We might call it demystifying thankfulness, or we might call it disambiguating thankfulness. You didn't know that was a word, and neither did I until I typed it into my computer this week, and no red squiggly line went under it, and I said, oh my goodness, disambiguating is a word. <laughs> so disambiguating thankfulness. But first, we have to put it in its proper place. How does scripture speak of thanksgiving and thankfulness, and what place does it give it? How, does this, how do the scriptures, especially the New Testament, speak of thanksgiving and thankfulness, and what place does it give it? So in order to answer those questions, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at scripture passages that contrast thanksgiving with something and then correlate thanksgiving with something. So we're going to start with the contrast, four passages where thanksgiving is contrasted with something, and then we're going to look at three passages where it's paired with something. And we learn about thanksgiving as we look at how scripture speaks of it, especially uh, I think we'll find in the, in the I'm, I'm anxious, I'm, I'm in a good way, looking forward to going through these passages where we see thanksgiving contrasted with something. Sometimes contrasted with things that we would have never thought of. Oh yeah, we, uh, thanksgiving is contrast to that. Um, so our first comes from Romans chapter 1. If you have Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. So we're going to read a, a good chunk of this. So what's Thanksgiving contrasted with in Scripture? Well, first, rebellion and unbelief. Rebellion and unbelief. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul speaks here of the guilt of those who suppress the truth of God that is clearly displayed for all men to see in creation. Man doesn't need further evidence that God exists than he already has in the world around him. The problem of unbelief is not the problem of a lack of evidence of God's existence. Rather, the problem is that men in their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God, is what Paul says. So they see the world around them and they have plenty of evidence and they deny God's existence. They can deny his goodness. They deny his power. And they are without excuse. Why? Because they have sufficient evidence, even sufficient knowledge of God. They know he exists. 
But instead of acknowledging him and honoring him and giving thanks to him, they ignore him and they refuse to give thanks to him for the blessings that they are enjoying that come from his hand, yet they refuse to give the glory to the one who gave it to them. The old J.B. Phillips translation says in verse 21, they knew all the time that there is a God, yet they refuse to acknowledge him as such or to thank him for what he is or does. That's a very scary thought if you think about the last day of judgment. Not one will be able to say, but God, I didn't know that you existed. They won't be able to even utter those words for they will be laid bare before truth himself. And they won't be able to claim that they didn't know God existed because they did. They knew all the time there was a God, yet they refused to acknowledge him as such or to thank him for what he had given to them, to thank him for what he is or who he, and what he does. So here we see a contrast to giving, thanksgiving, giving thanks to God. And our first contrast is this, unbelief, rebellion, atheism, agnosticism, and idolatry. That's the contrast. Thanksgiving accompanies acknowledgement of God and honoring God. So the absence of thanksgiving is the outworking of unbelief and rebellion against God. And this starts off, us off on the right foot because thanksgiving, the act of giving thanks to God, is an essential component of acknowledging God as God and the giver of all good gifts. The atheist doesn't acknowledge God and doesn't regularly give thanks to God, the thanks that is actually due to him. And so when we as Christians go about our days without giving thanks to God, we are actually acting as practical atheists. We're acting as those who are living in rebellion against God. In fact, the verb that Paul uses for give thanks here in Romans is in the plural. So he isn't just saying that they never gave thanks once to God in their life. He's saying that the many thanks that they had ought to have given to God, they did not. Instead of giving him many thanks, they were silent toward God. Now that's something you may have never thought of as the opposite of thanksgiving. You know, when I think of the opposite of Thanksgiving, I think of things like grumbling and complaining, maybe bitterness and resentment. But here's another opposite of Thanksgiving that's a biblical opposite, and that is silence. Thanksgiving is an act of the mind and the mouth. A heart that refuses to acknowledge God results in a proud mind and a silent mouth towards God a silent mouth towards God. Now, our second contrast is in Ephesians chapter five. Look at Ephesians chapter five, verse three. Again, you can turn there if you have Bibles and follow along. Three to, verse three to verse five. Paul says, inspired by the spirit of the Lord, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be what? Thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now this might seem a little strange to us, but here Paul is contrasting thanksgiving with crude joking and sexual immorality. 
He says, instead of inappropriate speech that comes from immoral thoughts and actions, sexually immoral thoughts and actions, you should rather be giving thanks to God. So thanksgiving is contrasted here with sexual immorality and the kind of speech that makes light of sexual sin. John Stott, commentating on this passage, says this, the reason why Christians should dislike and avoid vulgarity is not because we have a warped view of sex and are either ashamed or afraid of it, but because we have a high and a holy view of it as being in its right place God's good gift, which we do not want to see cheapened. All God's gifts, including sex, are subjects for thanksgiving rather than for joking. To joke about them is to degrade them. To thank God for them is the way to preserve their worth as the blessings of a loving creator. So you see the principle that giving thanks to God for his gifts in their right place, being used as he has designed them to be used, aids us in not distorting them for our own purposes and therefore, as Stott says, degrading them. Giving thanks to God is not just contrary to silence then. It's not just contrary to grumbling. It's contrary to foolish talk and crude joking. In the absence of thanksgiving comes what? Comes vulgarity. In its absence, the good gifts of God are not recognized as from God and designed for his purposes, so they are easily then distorted and twisted and degraded into something that they were not meant to be. So thanksgiving aids us in a right view and use of God's gifts, and there's something else as well. We learn from this verse that giving thanks to God is also a means that God has given us to fight sin in our lives, especially here the sins of sexual immorality, vulgarity, and covetousness. How do we, we could ask Paul, how are we to fight against sexual immorality in our lives? Paul, how are we to fight against covetousness? How are we to fight against vulgarity? How are we to fight against these things? And Paul would say, let there be thanksgiving. Okay, so number three, Philippians chapter four. Philippians four, four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So here, prayer and thanksgiving are being contrasted with what? Anxiety, being anxious, worry, And Paul's command is, don't be anxious about anything. Now we read that and we're like, how, Paul, come on, seriously, how are we, how is that even possible? That's hard to, that's hard to do. Don't be anxious about anything. We find that hard to do because we tend to worry about all kinds of things. And usually our worry is related to what? Well, it's related to what might or could happen in the future that is out of our control. And so we worry about all those things that are out of our control. We worry about all the could-be's, the possibilities. And when you boil it down, pretty much, the only thing that we are in control of is how we respond to those things that we're not in control of, which includes a whole lot. 
So it seems very hard when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. How is that possible? Well, thankfully, he doesn't just say, Paul doesn't just say, don't worry, be happy. He gives us more than that. No, he contrasts worry about the future with a life that is filled with prayer and thanksgiving to God. He says, replace the anxiety with this, with prayer and thanksgiving to God. Let your requests be made known to God in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. Instead of worrying, Paul says, take all your concerns to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to provide for you, petition, present your petitions before him. And then, don't forget this, Paul says, give thanks to the Lord in all that you do. So how is the Christian to deal with anxiety? How are we to kill the sin of worry? Which is how we should look at that, right? How are we to kill the sin of worry in our, in our lives? Well, in part, by a regular practice of prayer, which recognize the sovereignty of God in our lives, that God, we're not in control of all kinds, all, there are all kinds of things we're not in control of, but God is in control of them. And when we pray to him, we're acknowledging that he is, he's the sovereign one, he's in control of all those things. And then we give thanks to him, which reassures us of his goodness and his love, which has been demonstrated for us in all that he has provided for us. And when we go and we, you know, to use the phrase, when we count our blessings, naming them one by one to the Lord on a regular basis, what's happening in our hearts? We're being reassured of not only God's sovereignty, but God's goodness in our lives. And that's how we deal with, and that's how the anxiety is dealt with, right? Now, our, our last passage, our last passage, which contrasts Thanksgiving with something comes from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five. verses 18 through 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our contrast here is this, drunkenness and debauchery versus being filled with the Spirit singing praises and giving thanks to the Lord. So drunkenness results in debauchery, which is, because we don't use that word very often anymore, which is essentially uncontrolled, reckless, immoral behavior. So drunkenness is debauchery. It leads to debauchery, uncontrolled, reckless, immoral behavior. And Paul says, instead of that, you should be filled by the Spirit, which results in praising God and giving thanks to Him always and for everything. So when you think of the passage of Scripture that talks about not being drunk, we shouldn't just be thinking, oh yes, God says don't be drunk, so let's not. This Thanksgiving, when my uncle brings out the bourbon barrel, aged imperial stout that's 11%, I should probably only have one or two instead of three or four, just because God says don't be drunk. Well, yeah, you're right. You know, you probably shouldn't have three or four. But it's not just don't do this, it's don't do this, instead do this. And what is the instead do this? It's the be filled with the Spirit, rejoice in the Lord, singing songs to Him, and giving thanks to Him always and for everything. So, if we would just consider these verses that we read, 
that contrasts thanksgiving with various vices and sins, we could come to the conclusion that giving thanks is not a supplemental ornament that is to be occasionally hung upon the Christian's life. Okay? Just from these verses, we can say, giving thanks, what God says about thanksgiving, we must not think of thanksgiving as a supplemental ornament that can be occasionally hung upon our lives. No, because why? In the absence of thanksgiving are things like, let me just list a few of them for you, rebellion against God, idolatry, sexual immorality, vulgarity, anxiety, and drunkenness and debauchery. In the absence of thanksgiving, that's what comes in. So instead, what we're told is by the power of the Spirit, Christians are to give thanks with our minds and our mouths, which guard our hearts from all sorts of sin and folly. And so we've seen the contrast. Let's look at the things that accompany and are paired with thanksgiving. And I have three more passages that I want us to look at that call us to thanksgiving. And our first is in Colossians chapter 2. What is thanksgiving then paired with? Well, first, our new life in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, just think for a moment about the passage that we read not too long ago in Romans chapter 1. Those who suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness do not honor God or give thanks to him, is what we were told. And here we have the other hand. Here we have on the other hand. Here we're told that Christians are to be the polar opposite. Having received Christ Jesus, the Lord in faith, and having been reconciled to God the Father, their lives are to be characterized by what? Abounding in thanksgiving. One might ask, what does the Christian life consist of, Paul? And one of the key ingredients that he would say, one of, one, what he would say is, well, one of the key ingredients, you know, according to this verse right here, one of the key ingredients is plenty, plenty of thanksgiving liberal thanksgiving as much as you like to pour that gravy on your turkey at thanksgiving meal because it's always dry grandma always leaves it in the oven too long and you just pour that gravy all over it saturate it that's how thanksgiving is to be poured out all over in your life christian you're to abound in thanksgiving what is it mean what it was being built up and established in the faith look like? What does it mean to be built up and established in the faith? What does that even look like, Paul? Paul would say here, it looks like abounding in thanksgiving to God throughout your days. So that's first, our new life in Christ. Second, what else is it paired with? Doing all things in the name of Christ. Colossians 3, 14 through 18. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 
and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness or gratefulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, in this passage, we're commanded to many different actions. There are many different um, virtues and actions that are paired with giving thanks. We're to put on love, right? We're to let the peace of Christ rule in us. We're to let his word dwell in us. In other words, memorizing it, meditating on it, living it out. We're to teach and encourage one another in wisdom, sing psalms and hymns with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And then Paul goes even further than that. Because the Christian life includes more than just memorizing scripture and singing together and teaching and encouraging one another. The Christian life also includes doing the dishes. It also includes changing diapers, right, moms and dads, hopefully. It also includes things like driving to work. Building fences, building sheds, fixing tires. It includes resting, right? It includes eating and drinking and and fishing, for goodness sake, right? It includes all these things. So Paul ends his exhortation with this. He says that whatever you do, whatever you say, it must be done in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the God the Father through him. You see how comprehensive Paul is being here. It means that all that we do, hear, say, listen to, watch on the TV, eat at the table, drink from our cups, everything we do, we're to do it in the name of Christ. That means the word or deed must honor him. It must be, it must honor, we must be able to say as we watch this television show, in honor of Christ, I'm sitting here and relaxing and enjoying this. We must be able to, as we light the cigar or drink the drink or whatever it is we're doing, in the name of Christ, I'm enjoying this good gift from God the Father through Jesus Christ. We must be able to say, in the name of Christ, I'm doing this. And we must do it in a way that honors him. We must go about it in a way. So you have the great meal before you and it's so delicious and it's so scrumptious and you say, in the name of Christ, we're gonna enjoy this meal together. But what happens when you turn the eating into gluttony? No longer is it an honoring to God, right? So you must be, the the action you must be able to say in honor of Christ and the way you go about it must be done in a way that honors him. And as you do all of it, As you do all of it, Paul says you're to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. As you enjoy the steak, you know, as you are building the shed, and God is enabling you to do the things that he's placed before you to do, do all the work in in the name of Christ, enjoy the things in the name of Christ, you are to be giving thanks to God as you do it. Now, this reminds me of the verse we already read. And if we counted this, it would be four verses. So I didn't count it. But here's another. Ephesians 5.20, we already read. He says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks always and for everything. Again, how comprehensive is that? Always and for everything. Now, you would say, well, what does that include? What should we be giving thanks to God for? 
It includes everything from your salvation in Christ all the way down to the simplest blessing. Like, in, like I already mentioned, like the enjoyment of a marbled steak paired with a fine red Zinfandel. Or the blessing of a warm spring day after a long, harsh winter. Or like the blessing of coming to a solution for a dilemma that you have been facing at work. Everything. It's, it's everything. And then Colossians 3.17 tells us that whatever we do, we're to do it in the name of Christ and give thanks to God through him for it. Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to give thanks always and for everything in the name of Christ. So in other words, let me just sum these up. In all that we do, Paul says we're to give thanks. And in all that we have, we are to give thanks. Now our third and final verse, which pairs thanksgiving with other things, comes from the verse that we read at the very beginning, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. And here we see thanksgiving is paired with God's will. What is thanksgiving paired with here? It's God's will for you. What is God's will for you? Well, here it is. The Lord tells you very plainly and clearly, rejoice always, verse 16. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Giving thanks in all circumstances is God's will for his people. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in every station and every situation. Which means there is in every circumstance reason to give thanks to God. Did you catch that? Look, if he says give thanks in all circumstances, you know what that implies? That implies there's never a time. There is never a time when, because of our circumstance, because of what's going on in our life, there is nothing to thank God for. You will never, oh Christian, you will never be in a situation where thanksgiving is not appropriate. You will never be in a place in your life where you have nothing to give thanks to God for. Have you ever thought of that? Or have you operated under the assumption that there are times to give thanks to God and there are times when thanksgiving is just not called for or not necessary? Well, according to this scripture text and the ones we just read, thanksgiving is always called for in the Christian life. Because God is the giver of all good gifts, and every good thing we have comes from his hand, thanksgiving is always called for. Now, we might wrestle with that idea and accuse the Apostle Paul of being naive for writing something like this, give thanks in all circumstances. We might say, well, Paul was just naive. But we need to remember two things. First, and most importantly, Paul was carried along by the Spirit as he gave these commands. So these are the commands of God to his people. And second, the apostle was no stranger to difficult circumstances. Paul wasn't naive when he wrote this. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. He had been imprisoned for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul knew the truth that for the Christian, there is always reason to give thanks to the Lord. And therefore, thanksgiving is an imperative Giving thanks always, giving thanks in every circumstance, in all you do, do it in the name of Christ and give thanks to God through him. And so this brings us to our application. I said I wanted to disambiguate thanksgiving and thankfulness. If God commanded us to simply feel thankful all the time, then we might say, I'm not sure how to feel something I don't always feel. 
But think about all the texts that we just read. What do they call us to? What do all those passages of scripture call us to? The answer is, they call us to give thanks to God. That's an action. That is an action. Thanksgiving is an act of the mind and mouth, either by quiet prayer in the mind or by vocalizing our thanks through audible prayer or through audible song. So the issue isn't so much about your feelings. It's about your obedience. And you might be wondering, well, then what about thankfulness as a heart attitude? Well, yes, that's a part of it. And that, that, that heart attitude, the disposition of thankfulness, is cultivated by the obedient action of giving thanks to God in all things. That's how it's cultivated. That's how our hearts are cultivated to be thankful. Now, earlier I said that by the power of the Spirit, Christians are to give thanks with our minds and mouths, which guard our hearts from all sorts of sin and folly. Thanksgiving guards our hearts from folly and sin, but it also, it not only guards our hearts, giving thanks, the action of giving thanks, not only guards our hearts from sin and folly, it also shapes our hearts. That action shapes our hearts. A disposition of gratitude towards God does not develop devoid of the action of giving thanks to God. That disposition, you say, well, I want to grow in thankfulness, and I'm not sure. Listen, thankfulness, the disposition of thankfulness in your heart will not develop devoid of the action of giving thanks to God. It is developed by that. And that's one of the reasons why Scripture commands us to do it. Now, parents, this should be no mystery to you. You've seen how this works, haven't you? You've seen this play out in your children. Why do you teach them to say thank you to mom for the meal that she just made? Or to dad for fixing your, your bike, right? Why do we teach our kids to th say thank you? Well, for one, we teach our kids to say thank you because thank you is due, right? And they need to learn when thank you is due to give the thank you, to, to say thank you. But for two, because the child who doesn't learn to say thank you also doesn't grow in gratitude. The child that doesn't learn to say thank you will not grow in gratitude. The child who doesn't say thank you is a child who ends up thinking that he has all of it coming to him or her. That every gift is due them. This is my due. Every blessing is just what they deserve. It's just what they deserve. No thoughts to the giver. Right? No recognition that mercy and grace have been extended. But this is just my due. That's what happens with a child who doesn't learn to say thank you. And that's exactly how it is with us and God. When we get out of the habit of giving regular thanks to God, what happens? We start to take for granted all that God has given to us. And we easily begin to think that what we have is simply just what is due to us. Maybe even that we deserve what we don't have as well. And so instead of thankfulness being cultivated in our hearts by giving thanks, what is cultivated in our hearts by the silence? Covetousness and resentment and bitterness, right? And then a whole host of other things that we saw in the other passages, like sexual immorality and unbelief. 
So let me ask you as we close, what does your practice of giving thanks to God look like in your life? Think over the last week. Think over your days. What does your daily practice of giving thanks to God look like? Giving thanks to God, and I don't mean once a day, but throughout your day, how does that look? Parents, are, are your kids learning from your example to give thanks to God always and for all his blessings? Even when life is hard and it's not going the way you planned that it would or hoped that it would? Are they hearing you regularly give thanks to God for his good gifts with your mouth? Especially his gift of salvation in Christ Jesus? How easy it is to get out of the practice of giving thanks to God. And if that's you, if there's a lack of giving thanks to God with your mind and your mouth, then I would encourage you today to confess it to the Lord and to seek his help to obey his word in this area of your life. And fathers, if if you've not been leading the home in the practice of thanksgiving, don't ignore your failure in this area. Confess that failure, confess it to God, confess it to your wife, confess it to your kids, and pursue obedience to the Lord and lead your family in the discipline of giving thanks to God always and for all of his blessings. Every enjoyment of every good thing can be accompanied by thank you, Lord. Every circumstance is an occasion for thank you, Lord. And by the work of the Spirit, Gratitude and thankfulness will become the disposition of your heart. And, fathers, as you lead your home, it will not only become the disposition of your heart as you practice thanksgiving, it will become the culture of your home. Well, then, let's pray to our Lord, our God, and ask him to help us to grow in this area. Heavenly Father God, we do give you thanks for sending your Son. Lord, and we confess our failure in this area We confess that there are many days that go by that we do not give thanks to you. And we thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus Christ who died in our place for our sins and even for the sin of silence when we should have given thanks. And we thank you as well, Lord, that he died and rose again, that thanksgiving might be born in our new hearts and that our lives might abound in thanksgiving. So we ask that by the power of your spirit, this would happen in our lives, in our homes, and in our church. In the name of Jesus Christ, for his name and for his sake. Amen.